Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. That was cool. Uh, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, we're beginning today um, a six-week series talking about the book of Daniel, which if you have never heard about the book of Daniel, we're going to try to uh, teach through it over the next uh, six weeks and give a better understanding uh, of what's going on there. I hope that, and I believe that, it will mean something for your life right now. That's why we're looking at it. So I want to begin by reading to you just a few verses, seven verses from the first chapter of the book of Daniel. And then it's our custom here at Providence Church, and actually it's a long-standing uh, custom among Christian churches that after I conclude reading, uh, from the Bible, I will say this is the word of God for the people of God and invite you to say with me, thanks be to God. So Daniel chapter one, verse one, starts like this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My vacation a few weeks ago started with me not getting in the A group for Southwest which perplexes me to no end because I'm very dutiful on signing in exactly 24 hours as is assigned and somehow being there at the moment that it struck the hour, I still had 94 other people get in front of me. Maybe some of you can explain. So my vacation started by entering uh, the plane. We were flying to Denver for my parents' 50th anniversary, but I knew that getting on the plane, my five and my family, we would be splitting up, separating as we went into the plane. My dear wife, Rachel, was in front of me as we entered uh, the plane, and there happened to be a middle seat available on the front row, you know, where the, all the leg room is. Uh, she took it, and uh, <laughs> she is five foot four, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> right? But she just propped her leg, legs up and just enjoyed that seat as I went further back into the plane. And there were plenty of singles open, you know, places to sit. So I took the first one I could find, which was on the aisle next to uh, a lady who was sitting in the middle seat and a kid by the window who I could tell was like a kid who was flying, you know, by, him, by himself. And so I asked the lady, I said, uh, would you mind if I sat here with you? And she very politely answered, uh, yeah, you're welcome to sit with me. So I sat down in my seat. Uh, the first thing I did was reach into my bag and pull out my noise-canceling headphones, <laughs> to which I placed them uh, right here on the neck. This is the ready position, okay? 
in 2023, this is the universal sign to say, for the next three hours, I will be unavailable. <laughs> I was so looking forward to Tom Petty serenading me on the way. I was gonna do sign language to the flight attendants. I had no plan for them to come off. And as soon as I put them on, this nice lady with a warm smile, you know, bright eyes, she said to me, are those noise-canceling headphones? And I thought, yes, let me show you how they work. <laughs> I am about to give you an 1,100-mile demonstration in the Sony noise-canceling headphones from Best Buy. And... Uh, she inquired, uh, I didn't say that, uh, she inquired a bit more, and, and I, I do want to say, you know, I'm not generally that introverted, I wasn't trying to be a jerk, but I really, I just felt like I needed that time. I'd had a, I'd not slept hardly at all the night before, or some physical setbacks that I still have, I just wasn't feeling great, I was like, I need this time to get me ready for family vacation, um, but uh, she asked me, she literally asked me again, she said, how well do they work? Like, can you hear the pilot talking when you have them on? And, and so I, I said, hey, I actually just got them a few weeks ago for a flight to Israel. And uh, they work great. You know, they help you cut out the plane noise and, you know, you get sleep on a, long, on a long flight. And she said, oh, you went to Israel? Was that wonderful? <laughs> I was like, it was so, it was so wonderful. Um, I'd love to tell you all about it, um, but I don't really feel like it. So... <laughs> And 90 seconds, I think I'd been sitting in the seat, and she asked me, are you a Christian? And I took the headphones off. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I actually said, uh, it's even worse than that, ma'am. <laughs> I am a pastor. And Nicole, that's her name. She's my new BFF. Uh, I think she's watching during this service. She shared with me after I said, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm actually a pastor. Uh, she, said, she said, I have this deep desire that my life could be a walking testimony to Jesus and all he's done for me. And then she corrected herself real quick. She kind of laughed. She said, well, not a walking testimony. She said, for me, it would be a rolling testimony. I said, what do you mean? And she said, I can't walk. And my wheelchair is underneath the plane. You know, I had no idea. And she began to share with me. And for the next three hours, Nicole ministered to me from the heart of God to exactly what was going on in my life. She shared with me that as a little girl, she had cerebral palsy. And her family grew up turning their backs on God because God would not answer their prayers to heal their little girl. She said she came on scholarship uh, from New York to Vanderbilt University, and uh, she said, I was angry at the world, bitter towards God. In the first semester, I'd run off my roommate. She said, by the time I graduated, I was still pretty miserable. She said, I found myself sitting in a cafe in downtown Nashville crying into my meal when someone approached me and said, uh, you look like you just lost your last friend, and invited her to come to uh, a Bible study home group of sorts that was meeting in Hermitage. And she said she went. And a couple of times later as she was there, one of them asked her if she would want to pray to receive Christ. She told me, she confessed, she said, I wasn't really in the mood or ready to receive Christ. But she said, I really wanted to receive these friends. 
And so she said, I prayed a prayer and said, God, if I could receive you, I would be open to that. And she said, for the first time in my life, I saw myself through the eyes of God. And I saw and believed that I was beautiful and not rejected and not deformed. And God changed my life. She began to tell me that her dad was a pilot growing up. Uh, we had a long talk. Y'all want to hear some more about it? <laughs> she said, my dad was a pilot. And she said, he taught me. This is as the plane was taking off. All that, the plane's taking off. She said, my dad taught me that there's these two opposite forces at work for a plane to fly. There has to be drag and there has to be lift. And if there's not resistance or drag, this pulling down, there can never be flight. And she said, that's what I've experienced in my life with the hard things that have come against me. The resistance is actually what in, in, eventually empowers me to fly. She said, dad taught me that the front of the plane is called the attitude, the way the plane actually goes. They have a little dial for it. It's called the attitude of the plane. And she said, attitude determines altitude. And she said, if the attitude is up, then the altitude will go up. And she said, that's what I've learned in my life. As we were somewhere over Missouri, I began to share with her about my last couple of years. I just started sharing with this lady I'd never met my struggles that had been a difficult couple, my hardest couple years I've ever had because I'd never had things set me back before and I'd never had physical pain before and I'd never had nights that I didn't sleep before, vacation before. I just started telling Nicole about it. I told her about some of the professional difficulties that I've gone through over the last season and she said, well, Jacob, you prayed for this, didn't you? And I was like, what? She said, didn't you pray to go deeper with God? Haven't you as a pastor been, been calling upon God for a deeper experience, for a deeper experience for your church? And I said, yes, I have. And she said, well, I've learned that the deepest experience you can have with the Lord is to participate in the sufferings of Christ with him. I was like, oh my gosh. I actually asked her, I said, can I take notes? And she said, yeah. <laughs> I took out my, just the book that I've been reading. I filled it up with the stuff that she was telling me. By the time we got off the plane, we were best buds. And I asked her if I could, you know, go with her, you know, to get her, uh, her bags and that kind of thing. And she said, well, you can. But she said, for those of us who wait for our wheelchairs underneath, we're the last ones to get off the plane. And so my family, we waited until the whole Southwest flight was emptied, until they could find her wheelchair and get it set up. And then we set off in this new airport, my girls pushing uh, Nicole through, and we learned that it's not that easy for a disabled person to navigate themselves through a large airport. You can't just jump on the escalators like we do or jump onto the train and go here or there. So we had to find these new corridors that I didn't know existed and elevators that take you down where the escalators go and all this. And we waited for her bags and then we went out to the curb, but it was the wrong curb and it was a long time to get from that curb up to another place to get her out to where her family would be picking her up. And we gave her a high five as she went away to, to ride around. And I was really glad that Nicole did not take vacation off from being a Christian. And I was really, really glad that I did not cancel her with my headphones. For the next six weeks, we're going to look at the life and ministry of a man named Daniel. And Daniel reminds me of Nicole. He lived at a time when being a follower of God was really hard. It actually went from being sort of hard to dangerous. It went from being where he could do whatever he wanted to with his religion, freedom to worship, freedom to believe to what he wanted to believe, to where that actually became a hostile situation. Uh, a king came in and, and took over. And Daniel and his friends had to figure out what it looked like to be faithful to God in a time when the culture had shifted around them. 
Let me read to you a few of the verses again. It says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and besieged Jerusalem. So Jehoiakim was Daniel's king, but not just Daniel's king, the king of Judah, the king of Jerusalem, the king over the temple, the king over the, the people of God. And King Nebuchadnezzar came in, a more powerful king. Babylon was, you know, hundreds of times more powerful than Judah, and it was an easy besieging. And they took these, these folks uh, and began to bring them as, um, you know, as workers as slaves to where they lived. It says the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim. The hymn is King Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord gave King Nebuchadnezzar victory over the king of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects of the temple. So if we're not careful, we'll just read, bad king came and took out good king. But it's more than that. And this may mess with our theology just a little bit. It says the Lord allowed this to happen. The kingdom was not taken over outside of what God was up to. In fact, it says the Lord permitted this to happen. So don't, don't hear me saying that, it, that it's saying that now under the angry hand of our God, the people were besieged and enslaved. But it does mean that the pain and suffering that the people of God would encounter was allowed by God for some future purpose that they could not see at the moment. It was then that the king ordered his chief of staff to bring some of the young men, not all, but to bring some of the young men who are captives to work for them in the palace. So who would you get if you were going to get some workers? You'd try to get the best, right? And that's what it says. He says, select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. So he says, get the best you can find the smartest you can find, the strongest you can find. If they're cute, even better. You know, get, get these guys, the best looking guys. And what he says is train them in our religion, train them in our ways, train them in our clothing, you know, train them in our language. A cultural assimilation, not happening in a day, but a three-year training so that on the other side of this, these gifted, intelligent men would not just be working for them. They would get it. They would live it. They would have it down in them. The four young men that we study the most in the book of Daniel were from the tribe of Judah, and we're told their Hebrew names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We'll get to these last three in a couple of weeks. Their Babylonian names become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there's a very famous story about them going into a fire that we will look at. But the central figure of the story is Daniel. Daniel is given a Babylonian name as well, Belteshazzar. But for most of the story, he's referred to by this name, Daniel. Daniel shows us how to live in the exact time that we're in right now. That's why I'm, I'm so pumped about these next few weeks with, with you guys because it's like Daniel and his life um, is a way that God is showing us how we could go about it right now. Here's what I mean. How many of us feel under pressure right now? Feel like our life is squeezed a little bit? that there's just so much going on that we might even feel like we're in a lion's den, the most magnificent story in the book of Daniel. Uh, I'm just talking about normal stuff, just life is a lot, right? But more than that, I wanna talk a little bit this morning uh, to say how many of us have begun to realize that being a follower of Jesus right now is not the thing that will lead you to go with the flow of anything in our culture. You're like, you're exaggerating. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying, though, that we live in a time that is exactly like the time of Daniel, okay? We are not living in a time exactly like the time of Daniel. Why? Because we're sitting in a room free to worship right now. 
We're talking about our God. We're broadcasting it all over the place. And I have no risk, I don't think, uh, of being thrown into jail after this is over for anything that I've done in this moment. You know, you might, I don't want to <laughs> go through the whole, the whole deal. But surely, thank you. Uh, but surely, <laughs> like you don't, that's like just gasoline for a fire, you know. But surely we realize, surely we realize that to follow Jesus right now is to swim briskly against the current of our culture. America at one time was a Christian nation, at least by name. We now, no doubt, guys, and I'm not being like trying to scare you, I'm just talking about reality. We no doubt live in a secular nation in a post-Christian age, which means the precepts of God, what is agreed upon as morally right and wrong, are not connected to God. They're, 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 they're a vast reason why people would believe those things. The ways of Jesus stand starkly in contrast to the predominant ways of culture. So we're not in a time exactly like Daniel, but we are in a time like Daniel. <laughs> and that's why we're not going to read this as some historical, interesting text. Here's how we're going to read it for the next six weeks if you want to come back, and I hope you do. We're gonna read it as if it is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, God. <laughs> right? Thank you for giving us your word in this moment that what happened with Daniel 600 years before Jesus was alive can speak directly to my life today. I will not be speaking to you as a history professor or as a great storyteller. We'll be listening to say, God, what are you saying through your spirit, which we still see evident in this place, which we still see falling on people's lives, which we still encounter in our own hearts. Are you able, God, to teach us spirit unto spirit, deep unto deep? I believe that God can do that, and I believe that we can be the ones that keep and hold the faith in a time like right now. That's why it's exciting to hear about it. For most of history, God's people have found themselves in the minority under a dominant culture. So we're not gonna be like, oh man, this is a tough time we're gonna live in. It's like, no, this is what it is like to follow God. And what happens for Daniel happens to most Christians throughout history. The value system, the cultural pressures begin to work against an attempt to maintain faith in God. If you're not experiencing that, I believe that you will. What I mean is to follow God, to say I want to be devoted to Jesus means you will live in this life and there will be forces that will be working against that desire. Rachel and I, we got to Colorado uh, for our vacation. Uh, we met up after the plane uh, ride was over. She's all comfortable and been resting. And I've had like the most intense conversation of my life, <laughs> you know. And so one morning we go down to the banks of the Colorado River where we were staying. There was a park there. It was gorgeous. We're drinking coffee, just enjoying our morning. And we're watching this guy. He's on this little boat ramp. He's got his Labrador retriever, this beautiful dog. And he's throwing this floating stick out into the Colorado River where there's like people rafting down it. This dog was amazing, perfectly trained. He'd throw it out there. He would like like a bullet swim out into, get the thing in his mouth. But when he would turn with the bone in his mouth or the stick or whatever it was, when he would turn, he was then suddenly going across the current, not against the current. No dog, no person could swim against the current of the Colorado River. But he would turn just to go across it, just not to go with the current. And the dog would have to work with all his might. I mean, paddle, paddle, paddle. It was amazing to watch. And it looked like every time 
he was getting close to the boat ramp. He wasn't going to make it, but he would make it. And he would come up onto the boat ramp and he was tired. He would drop that thing out of his mouth. You know, his tongue is hanging out completely exhausted. His owner would pick up the stick and be like, you want to go again? And he'd be like, I'm ready to go again, you know? <laughs> and he would go again and again. And we were watching. It was so enjoyable to watch. But there was this one time, I kid you not, the dog did not make it. He just went down the Colorado River. We're like, oh my God. Oh my gracious, there was like kids in the pavilion, they're gasping, you know, the dog is just, float. he floats around the corner, there's like this embankment where we're like, did we just watch, did we just watch this, you know? And the owner is not deterred at all. So it turns out, like, I guess just right on the other side, there's this easy, like, place where the dog could crawl up. But he comes, the dog just comes, like, climbing over the hill, you know, he's almost not made it. And that was his last, that was his last thing. I think he was like, that's enough, that's enough. And I don't know if you've ever stood at a river, you know, you look at a river and you're like, that thing is moving. But do you know when you really understand how fast it's moving? When you get in it. And when you get in it, you can sense how powerful the forces are that are wanting to move you in one direction. Well, here's the deal, guys, we're in it. We are in a current that will take you in a, a direction. And the reason I'm excited about this is the early Jesus movement that we look at in the scriptures and that came right out of it was a small persecuted minority living in the vast sea of the Roman Empire. That those who passed down the faith to get it to this moment were living in a time like Daniel, living in a time like us. So I wanna, I wanna share with you three ways uh, that we might think we should encounter this situation if you believe that this is the reality. Three tempting ways that have been tried and tried and tried by Christians and they don't work, but they should be, they should be acknowledged, okay? So I'm gonna call these three mistaken Christian responses to culture. Three mistaken Christian responses to culture. And the first is noise canceling. Cancel out all the noise. You know this has been tried by Christians, right? Can we get far enough away from culture that it can't touch us and touch our children? Can we get somewhere where we're not affected by the darkness, not affected by the, the pain, not affected by the curse? Can we stay safe? It's not a bad venture. Can we stay untouched? In fact, I think there's probably a little more call for this, um, but the answer is, can we stay untouched? The answer is, nobody makes headphones that good. That's actually what I told Nicole, you know, when she asked, can you hear the pilot? I said, it drowns out the noise, but I can still hear the pilot when he comes on. You know, I can't understand him, but I can't understand him when the headphones are off either. But that's, you know, something else. God, can't we just cancel out all the noise? Can't we have a commune? Wouldn't we have the best commune? Can't we escape? Well, it can be attempted, but it's not the way of Jesus. Jesus walked right into the towns. Jesus sat down with every rascal he could find. Jesus was um, interrogated for the kind of people that he kept company with. He did not avoid culture. You can't shine light and make a difference with noise-canceling headphones on. The second attempt that we sometimes will make, though, it's on the opposite side, is what I'm going to call full immersion. Let's go all in. I will go so deep in the culture. I'll know all the lingo. I'll binge all the shows. I'll be up on all the pop culture. I'll be on every social media platform. I'll have no discretion because I'm gonna be in the world. I will look and act and see and experience everything that everyone else experiences. You cannot shine light and be salt like Jesus said we were to be with a full immersion experience, acting like everyone else around you. 
And there's actually a third way that I didn't know that much about until the last few years in our time, and you'll recognize it. It's a reaction that Christians have to culture, and it's called combative and angry. I will fight. I will fight culture. I will fight every, every moment. And you know, guys, we fight battles here and we fight, uh, you know, we have things that we stand up for. But what I'm talking about is fighting battles as if we are the ones who will win them. Because what Daniel begins to show us is the Lord controls the battles. The Lord controls who's king or not. And which king comes and which king goes. And the Lord sometimes permits some things to happen for his purposes that we don't understand. Jesus actually didn't fight a lot of cultural battles. He had a different aim. He was always pointing to a new kingdom that would come. Rather than maybe encountering every issue, he loved everyone unconditionally, relentlessly, extravagantly. He pointed people away from sin and spoke hard truths. But really it seems like his eyes were always on something else that had not yet happened that was gonna be set up in this moment. Even me saying this sounds countercultural because we live in an age now where our identity and worth is oftentimes caught up in how loudly we are yelling. The loudest yellers get the talk shows. And so even we can find ourselves wanting to be that person who's combative and fighting. Let me read to you a quote from Robert Mulholland, a theologian. He says, the church is not primarily to be confrontive to culture, but to be obedient and faithful to God's presence and purpose in the culture. The result will be confrontive, but that should not be the purpose. The confrontation that the church has with culture happens because the falsehoods that are being propagated out there can't stand in the face of truth. So you're like, oh, great back to school sermon, Jake. <laughs> Take a longer vacation. So um, <laughs> what in the world do we do? These mistaken responses. Daniel shows us the beautiful way that the faithful are to live and it matters not what earthly king sits on the throne. So you don't have to stress about that, okay? But the response is the same. And today I simply wanna give you three words and an invitation to commit, okay? Here's the three words. The words are devoted, different, disciplined. Devoted, different, disciplined. These are three faithful responses to culture, faithful Christian responses. So the first, let's look at it, this devoted, stay devoted to God. Daniel was deeply devoted to God. How do we live, you might wonder, if we're not gonna cancel it all out and we're not gonna take it all in, what does the middle ground look like? It looks like devotion to God. It looks like giving everything to him, being passionate about our Lord. Here's the cool thing about the age we live in now, nobody can play church anymore. You're, you're either all in or you're floating down the river. It changed right before our eyes, okay? And so Daniel shows us that it's deep devotion. We're gonna look at the most famous story in Daniel in a few weeks, the lion's den. Do you know why he gets, he gets put in the lion's den? Devotion to God. He's not combative towards anyone. He's not angry at anyone. He doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't say, let's see what happens if I do this. He's just devoted to God and the things around him change where it's not cool to be devoted to God anymore. Um, so here's what happened. Uh, some people tricked the king into saying, you should make an edict that nobody can pray to anyone but you, and he does it. 
And so they want Daniel to be, to be killed, and, and they know that he won't go for it. And it says, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, the law that you could only pray to one person, and that's the king, he went home and knelt down as, as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he's always done, giving thanks to God. So Daniel shows us that it's our devotion that will make a difference. Your devotion to God will make you distinct in this age. The second part is to live differently. But here's the cool thing, guys. You don't have to figure out how to, how to live differently, what you're supposed to do differently. All you have to do is be devoted. That's the difference. That's the distinction. We read about this in chapter one where we just left off. Daniel, you know, he's been taken captive. It says the, the guys have been given the king's food and the king's wine. But Daniel and his Jewish brothers, they have a way that they eat and drink because of what God has asked them. That's different than that. And so, uh, you know, Daniel says, I'll work for the king, but I can't eat these unacceptable foods. It says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And so he asked the chief of staff for permission to not eat these unacceptable foods foods. He just doesn't do it. The chief of staff says, if you guys only eat water or drink water and eat vegetables, you're going to look pale and sick and thin, and I'm going to get in trouble with my boss. And Daniel says, give us one week. Give us one week. And Daniel shows us that being a vegan is the way to go. Okay. No, (laughs) that's not it. Okay. I promise you. It's a long time ago. You don't have to do that anymore. So Daniel shows us that following the way of God leads to the favor of God. That's being faithful to what God has asked you to do that will lead to the favor of God being on your life. And so Daniel doesn't get in trouble. In fact, it says that he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego look bigger and stronger and and better than the guys who are eating the king's food and the king's wine. They are uh, disciplined to practices. So we need to become disciplined to practices. Devoted, different, and disciplined. Um, I mean, we see this in so many ways that if there are things that we're serious about, we're going to be disciplined to them. Uh, I notice it a lot in the uh, sports culture, like with our kids. I have two, my two oldest girls have played sports at the highest level of, of uh, kids their age. And there is a discipline that is required for that, that we all buy into, you know, that we're going to travel here and we're going to do that. We've been all over the nation, you know, playing sports with these with these girls and we love it. And if they miss a practice, my daughter's gym in Franklin volleyball, if they miss a practice, they got to go on another night and make up the practice on their own. Uh, high school sports, when they miss a practice, you know, they have to come in before the practice and do all these exercises that I couldn't even do before they practice. This is a discipline. The coaches know that there's a discipline required for the challenges that they are going to face at another time. And Daniel is exemplifying that. He's not changing anything, but when the cultural tide around him changes, he's staying disciplined to his prayer practices, to his eating practices, and to his devotion to God. Daniel shows us that our daily practices prepare us for our biggest challenges. And so that applies to you guys, you know, young people who are in sports. Your practices are what's going to prepare you for your biggest challenges, but it also provides, uh, it's for us spiritually that our daily practices uh, prepare us for when we face our big challenges in life. So um, that's a lot, but it, you know, you think uh, I'm wrapping up. So you can't wear these noise canceling headphones. Um, we can't block it all out. We can't fight every battle. It sounds a lot harder. It's, it's easier to do those things. But what if the harder thing is what God is calling us to? Would we be willing to do that? 
What if this season is, is asking us to do something harder? What if that's precisely the environment that's needed for the revival of God's people in this land? I've been thinking about that a lot, you know. Been through a hard season. We, we all have, you know, over the last few years. You know, before this season happened, you know, the stock market is open. Uh, we didn't panic if somebody coughed in the grocery store. Uh, churches were packed out. But there was not revival happening in our land. We're, we were moving down the, down the current. And so what if, like Nicole said to me, what if this is the moment we prayed for? If you've been here at this church, we've been praying for a movement of God in our land. We've been praying for revival in our community. So what do we do? That sounds like, that sounds like a big task. What do we do? Be devoted, different, and disciplined. We just be faithful in the moment. And God is the one who does the work. So we don't retreat. You know, Nicole, my friend, I hope she's watching. Um, do you know who she works for? The government in the legislature in a very important position where she has a lot of influence because people listen to what she says. She has not retreated. She just goes to work every day and says, do those headphones work? She gets people's attention. She doesn't let them go to sleep. She lives this different life. And I, I mean, I feel like that moment changed me in some ways, you know? Why? Because I heard from God through her. I heard him speak some things to me that I had read before and that I heard before, but because of the moment and the person and the differentness of it and the way that she was open to me, it got my attention. So today is our first study day in studying Daniel. And I told you I'd give you three words and an invitation to commit. That's what the cards are about. You can see on there, it's just about a commitment to live a devoted, different, disciplined life. It doesn't say that you've got that down. It's just saying, I would like to grow in that. I would like to learn in that. If you were to fill out that card with your email address, you're gonna be invited to join. Mark and I will be sending emails that will have a daily reading for you and study that you can do through these next six weeks on the book of Daniel. So it'll be going deeper into the, into the study. So it's just an email. You can say, yeah, I wanna, I wanna do that and I wanna, I wanna read that. Um, I also would invite you to um, join us every week in worship. If you wanna do this, say, I'm gonna make a commitment to be in worship for the next six weeks. And that can be online if, if you are traveling to the kids thing or whatever, I'm just saying, but you're gonna make that, uh, make that commitment. At the conclusion of this, we'll have a baptism service in September. If you want to be baptized like our friends here today or recommit your life to Christ, uh, you'll see some indications for that. But I just wanna invite you as Hunter leads us in a time of worship to pray. If you wanna fill that card out, uh, you can bring it up here during the song, place it in the basket. And we've also just got these simple little stickers that you can take when you make this commitment that says devoted, different, discipline. You can put it on your laptop or, you know, somewhere in your house or your car, your refrigerator. That's just a reminder. The, the words, I hope, will just be kind of a reminder. Devoted, different, and disciplined. So that's what we're up to, guys. If you want to do that, you can fill that card out. Uh, we'll have a prayerful moment. You bring it up, put it in the basket, and you'll see the stickers sitting right next to it. Let, let's come.